Well, good morning. It's wonderful to see you this morning. I was looking just uh, over here this morning. I was at this door greeting people when they walked in, and Naomi Barnett uh, walked in this morning, one of the first ones here. I'm just looking around. Is Naomi in here? Naomi, you here? Well, it was wonderful to greet her this morning, and first thing she told me is that God is faithful. If you do not know Naomi Barnett, her husband Frank is in heaven today, and just a few weeks ago, I met Jesus, and so it was just good to see Naomi this morning. That song just reminded me, I mean, Naomi knows that Jesus is faithful, and she's living it out. That's just wonderful. So if you see Naomi, just bless her and and just hug her and tell her, wonderful. So good to see you. So I want you, if you will, take your Bible, turn to 2 First Thessalonians chapter 2. So uh, I get to start chapter 2 today with you. And while you're turning there, I brought this bottle of water up here. I just have a question, and you can, you can talk, all right? It's okay to talk in church. And um, so if I took this pure bottle of water, and if I had like a, a, just a little... A dropper of um, poison or sewage or just dirty water, how much would it take to contaminate this bottle of water? How much? One drop. Yeah, not very much, right? It would not take very much to contaminate this pure water. I want you to hang on to that thought. Because Thessalonians, Paul has preached to the Thessalonians... And he was only with them for a few weeks, and now he's off somewhere else for a bit. And then he hears about how now they are kind of in confusion, and because of that day, and hear me, as you hear this, you'll go and agree with me, nothing is new under the sun. Because back then, just like we today, they had false teachers, and they had charlatans, and they were all over the place, and they were trying to sell whatever they were trying to sell, their, their beliefs or their teaching. And so they would come in and try to persuade people, and it didn't matter. Uh, they would do anything to try to make a lie. They would try to seduce people. They would just do all kinds of things to get either a following from them, to get money from them to get other types of favors from them. And, and so it was always like this. And so if someone came into town and, and they were sharing something like Paul had with the Thessalonians, and after he would leave, there would be someone else who would step up and they would always try to defame whoever was there before. It kind of reminds me, and just show me your hands. Do you remember when Billy Graham was here in Oklahoma City uh, the last time he was here? Do you remember that? So Sherry and I and some of the folks from church, they went there, and we had to stand in line to get in. And lo and behold, I'd never seen this before. There were people out picketing Billy Graham, saying what a false teacher he was and stuff like that. I'm like, and I remember that day thinking, you know, if Jesus was here, they would do the same thing. And by the way, they're still doing the same thing, right? And so the deal is they're trying to defame what Paul had come to start up. Now, this is not the main point, but I just want to share something before we get to, because I only have one point this morning, all right? Most of my sermons are pointless, but I do have one point this morning. Thanks for that agreement or affirmation, whatever that was. But, uh, uh, but this is just a side note, but I think it's very important. Because these people, even the Thessalonians, these new believers, they were hearing false things about the guy who had brought them the truth of the gospel. 
And I just want to talk to you a little bit about the danger of being contaminated by an evil report. So, in other words, every one of us in this room, we've been in that situation to where someone has come up to us and they've just said something about someone. Now, as you're thinking, some of you are going like, I wonder if he's talking about someone here. Listen, that, nothing at all. It's just because how this is brought up in this particular passage is just a good time to say something about be careful because you and me, we can become contaminated by listening to an evil report. So what's an evil report? I, here's just the definition. An evil report involves distorting the facts, incomplete facts, or false information. It is given with wrong motivations and it causes the hearer to come to inadequate, inaccurate, okay, conclusions about the person and to begin to respond to the person in unscriptural ways. So it makes sense. So uh, an evil report can be given about anyone and it causes the person to start doubting about that particular person. And so I just want to give you a few symptoms. Maybe if you've heard an evil report, I mean, I have looked at this list before and going like, I, I've been contaminated before because someone gave an evil report. But maybe some symptoms of being contaminated is that you begin to believe the evil report is true. And so you just take this person's word for it and you're like, oh, it must be true instead of going maybe to the person and finding out the real facts about the issue. Another one would be forming negative opinions based on the report. So you, do, you don't even go to that person and find out if it's true, but all of a sudden you begin to form negative opinions about them. And here's another one. You begin to focus on negative aspects of the person involved. Another one would be you're interpreting the person's every word in action as suspicion. Is, has this ever happened to you? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. But has it ever happened like you, you've been listening and you've start to become contaminated and then whenever you see the person you're looking and they just do a gesture or they're saying something you're going yeah I see what that person's talking about about that person you're already suspicious about them now just take that with the Thessalonians Paul's been there he has shared his life with them in fact next week we'll talk more about that but he has given his life to them in the gospel the truth their lives have been changed and yet he goes away and someone comes in and starts giving an evil report about either the gospel or about Paul himself. And they're already starting to doubt and wonder, like, was this really the real deal? And it can happen to you and I as well. And then begin to tell the evil report to others as if it was true. And so you just start spreading it and yet you don't know if it's true or not. And so my encouragement to all of us, including myself, is beware of what you listen to and who you listen to, and watch out if you take it for the gospel or for the real truth, but behooves all of us to do your due diligence to make sure it's absolutely true before you do anything else about it. The best way to stop an evil report is just take that person go, you know what, I hadn't heard that. Why don't you and I go to that person and let's just make sure this is all true. Now, if that person goes, like, starts fumbling around and, you know, he needs to catch the next train out of town, you're like, okay, well, it must not have been true. And so just be careful not to be contaminated by an evil 
report. And so there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul begins to talk to these people and just to reassure them of some things. Paul is above reproach. He wants them to know that he did not come in like a false teacher and try to defame them or try to trick them or try to draw them away to his teaching. He wants them to know he was really there for them, for the gospel's sake of telling them the truth. In fact, in verse 1 it says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, it wasn't empty. It actually had an effect on you. And so just imagine with me, Paul comes in, many people turn to Christ. Someone else comes in and begins to say, listen, what they were telling you was not the truth. And so what is Paul saying to them? You know it's the truth because what? Your lives changed. So if you will, if you got there in your Bible open, look up in chapter 1, look at verse 9, verse 4. Let's just read through verse 9 for a minute. Because Paul just reminds them of the change they had in their life. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia Acadia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acadia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reputation we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so honestly, and you know this well, that the truly changed life is the only assurance a person has of their salvation. A changed life is really the only proof that a person has truly experienced salvation. And I say that with deep conviction because that is my story. I grew up in church. I was there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I was at every vacation Bible school, every revival. For some of you, you don't know what that is. We had revivals like two or three times a year. And it was like every night for two weeks. And sometimes it would go longer. And it was just like, I was there all the time. But it wasn't until I was 21 years old and the Spirit of God began to convict me. And here's how it looked to me. I realized one day, like my eyes were open, hey, listen, I live like hell Monday through Saturday. And on Sunday, I try to kind of hold all that back. And it's pretty difficult. And then Monday to let loose again. And I'm like, something's wrong. Now hear me, I didn't come up with that. It was only the Spirit of God that awakened my heart to realize I'm living a double life. And it was only until I met Christ that I realized 
I'm living, and I was living an unchanged life. I said I knew Christ. I said I knew God. I said all these different things, and yet my life was never changed. And it was only until I truly, at 21 years old, repented and confessed and trusted Christ that I, my life was changed. And hear me, I am not counting on however many years ago that was when I was 21. You know what I'm counting on? My life today, because it's still changed. And it's still being changed. And I'm still being convicted of sin. I'm still, my eyes are being opened. And I'm still trusting Christ. And I'm still moving forward. Not perfectly, but I'm still. So the deal is, he's saying to the Thessalonians, listen, you know well yourself. Because look at the changed life that you have. And so when someone comes in and says, listen, what you believe, it's, it's not true, it's not working. Well, you just need to say, is it working in your life? I mean, is your life changed? Is it changing? Are you loving and living for God now? Uh, just like you were when you first were called by him? Is life still like you're still loving and following and wanting to pursue God? And so what's going on in your life now? And that's what he's saying to the Thessalonians. Hey, look at your life now. What, what's it like now? He goes on to say this in verse 2, if you'll look at that. He says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you well know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. Now, you probably know the story, but Acts 16, there, um, Lydia, a woman, her heart was open to the gospel. She trusted Christ. The church was started there with a little group of people. As Paul was there, there was a slave girl that was following him every day saying, oh, hey, don't listen to this person. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Paul. He's a holy man. Uh, he speaks, you know, the gospel. And it says just because he was, got annoyed, he turned around and he cast this demon out of this fortune teller. Well, the people who owned this woman, they saw that, oh, they're going to lose a lot of money now. And so what did they do? They drug Paul and Silas. They shamefully embarrassed them in front of the whole town, and then they threw them in jail, and there they were beaten, put in stocks. You know the story. At midnight, they're whining and griping about their situation. And because of the whining and griping, people were coming to Christ, like right and left. That never works. Just, that just doesn't go well. It says at midnight, they were praying, and they were singing, and everybody was listening and the doors fly open, and the jailer sees what happened. You know the rest of the story. And they're saying, hey, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. And the jailer runs in, and he and his family come to Christ. It's just a miraculous thing. And so what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians is this. Hey, listen, even though we suffered, and we were shamefully, I mean ridiculed, for the most part, us in this room... If we have ever been persecuted for the cause of Christ, it might be a little bit of that. We've been shamefully in public for our faith. But Paul was suffered harm to his body. He was beaten. He was all these things and shamefully accused. And yet he says to the Thessalonians, listen, even though all this, we haven't stopped. 
And here's, here's a question for you and I. And so when I put this together a few weeks ago, I had to ask this question myself, and I ask it of you. What does it take to stop you? When it comes to your walk with Christ and your boldness or your proclaiming of the gospel to others or living your life in a godly way in an ungodly society, what does it take to stop you? And so I came up with about three that I've seen in my life, and I, I don't know if they fit for you, but maybe just um, um, evaluate for a moment. One big one for me has been over the years, and it still can be if I don't watch out, is just busyness. Uh, that's just a nice way of saying having the wrong priorities. Just busyness. And so I, I stopped doing for the Lord, and I start doing for myself because, you know, I'm just so busy. I just got so many things to do. And yet, God gave you and I the right amount of time to do everything He wants for you and I to do for Him in this life. And so whenever someone like me will say, man, I just don't have time, then here's what I'm really saying. I don't have time to do what I want to do. Because when it comes to, if we're really doing for the Lord what you and I have been called to, we would never say, listen, I just don't have time to do that. Because God has given you and I time to do for him everything he's called for you and I to do. So just busyness. Here's the second one. Someone else has hurt you. And so because someone else hurt you, you stop serving God. You stop living it, you stop speaking it, you stop whatever because someone hurts you. And here's the truth. Y'all know this, right? In this life, you're going to get, say it with me, hurt. You're going to get hurt by someone. You'll get hurt by someone in the church. You'll get hurt by someone in your neighborhood. You'll get hurt by someone in your family. You might get hurt by your spouse, by one of your friends. You might get hurt. Well, here's the deal. You're going to. You either have been, you're experiencing it now, or guess what? This is the happy deal of, of this, right? You're going to. Every one of us. Every one of us, it's going to happen. And yet, allowing someone else's to hurt us, to stop us. Oh, my. Here's a third one. And this is sad. I've experienced this. Disappointment. In God. I'm not going to serve God anymore because I'm disappointed. God, you didn't answer that prayer like I was asking. Um, I, I expected you to do this. It didn't happen. I was counting on you for this particular deal. It didn't happen that way. It happened in a different way. And if you really stop and look, it happened a different way, and it's better than what you were asking about, right? It doesn't usually work that way. And God, like, shuts the door, and you're going, oh, my goodness. Why would God do such a thing? I'm going to stop serving him. And then later, another door opens, and it's much better than you were talking about, and then you have to do what? Repent, ask forgiveness. And, right. So the deal is, you just get disappointed with God. It's like, God, I thought you were going to do it this way. Don't you think Paul, over his life, probably thought, wow, God, I, I'm sure it's going to work out this way. 
And then one time he's floating in the ocean, like hanging on to a board from the ship that, you know, got destroyed in a storm and he's floating around. I wonder if he ever thought, hey, God, I never thought this you know, kind of would be going on, like floating around, you know. I thought, man, you called me, people are going to listen to me. And here I am floating out in the ocean for a day and a night. Or like, hey, I went to that town to share the gospel and they took me outside of town. They stoned me and they left me dead. Or I've been beaten by rods and scourged and on and on and on. You ever wonder like uh, at the end of Paul's life before he went like, you know, my life worked out exactly like I thought it would be. Like, oh, we're going to get to heaven just sit down and go like, hey, what was that like? Well, the truth is most of us in this room, you could say that very thing. You're like, it didn't work out like I thought. But guess what? God is more powerful than you could ever work it out. And it's going to work out how he wants it to work out. So hear me. I'm not trying to be unkind or anything. I have to kind of be this way to myself sometimes. Instead of being disappointed with God, just say, hey, God, listen, I know you know a lot better than me. And help me not to let it stop me. Just because I get disappointed, it didn't turn out how. I thought it would be, but trust that however it turns out, that's how you chose it to be, and I'll go with that. So if business or letting other people hurt you or your disappointment with God ever stop you, don't let it. In fact, if you find yourself in that today, I want to triple dog dare you y'all know what that means right you cannot not do it now if i double dog dare you you could go like mm, i could do it if i want or not now i just triple dog dare you which means you have to do this now so the deal is if you are like i just need a little more encouragement to keep going i triple dog dare you to read this book fox's book of martyrs I don't suggest it for bedtime story time for children. Read it. You hear stories of Christians being burnt at the stake. And they would continue to preach until they were overwhelmed by the smoke or the flames. Or they sang or they prayed for those who just lit the fire. And you read stories of how people started coming to faith at the burning of Christians. So they stopped public burning of Christians because more people were being converted at the burning than what was happening inside the church house. And yet they never stopped. They just kept going. Verse 3. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. For our appeal does not spring, and I want you to just hear this. just want to walk through this verse for a moment because these people know what Paul's talking about. They've experienced this from other false teachers. And Paul says, listen, our appeal does not spring from error, impurity, or any attempt to deceive. Now, hang with me a moment. Error. Literally means to lead you astray by a false teaching living. It's just Paul saying, listen, we didn't come and preach to you to try to lead you away, you know, to try to trick you, to try to get something from you. 
This next word is horrific. In fact, I'll try to be family friendly. Because it says, when we did not appeal to you out of error or impurity. It's, it's a very graphic word. So let me say it like as nice as I can. We did not try to get immoral favors from you like the other false teachers that have been here before and that are going to come after me. We didn't try to seduce you and get anything impure from you. There's nothing new under the sun. Even in our day, there's nothing new. The last one, attempt to deceive. It literally means to bait, to trap you, to try to get your money, to try to get you to follow us, to try to get you on our list, to try to get you to follow us on our Facebook, to try to get you to give to our cause. We didn't do anything to try to get you to give glory to us. We didn't do any of that because verse 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I mean, Paul, he's talking about, hey, listen, man, God called me. My conversion story I've told many times they know his story, how he was going to kill Christians, and yet Jesus found him on the path to go kill Christians and just shut him down and changed his life and commissioned him. Hey, Paul, I'm going to use you to take the gospel. I'm going to use you as an instrument. In fact, you're going to go through difficult times. I mean, what a way. I mean, wouldn't that just, if that's how your call was, wouldn't it, would you just like, hey, I can't wait to do that. Like if, if you sense God calling you, not just salvation, but listen, I'm going to use you and your life's going to be difficult. Would that just thrill your heart? Y'all know this, right? Because he has. Every one of us. He has called us. He has commissioned us. And it is not, too, an easy life. It is not, to an easy life. You know, in other countries, when families and their children come to know Christ, they don't tell their children, listen, it's all going to be downhill from now. It's all going to be bed of roses. It's all going to be. One incident I read about is they took their children to a, kind of a local zoo in another country, and they took them to where the lions were. And while the lions were being fed, they told their children, this well could be how your life ends for following Christ. In other countries, when they tell their children about Christ, it's about you might lose your life. In fact, many to this day lose their life. Maybe some, even this day, somewhere in the world, they have lost their life because they have trusted Christ and they have followed him and they've lost their life. What they really, they what? They gained their life. This world, it looks like they lost their life. In heaven, they, they gained their life. Paul says, we didn't come to do any of that. God knows our hearts. 
Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery. You know what flattery is, right? Flattery is using like flowery speeches, trying to compel someone, you know, to employ a favor from them or try to get something from them, to gain power over them, to flatter them. Proverbs all over it says, do not flatter someone else. Paul says, I didn't come to flatter. I didn't come to do that. We didn't come in verse 6. We did not seek glory. We didn't seek esteem or honor or praise. It's only reserved for God. We didn't come to seek glory from you, from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands because, I mean, Paul is an apostle. He, he's in a special group that he, he met Jesus firsthand. And the thing is, he was commissioned to do this. And he says, listen, I didn't come to seek glory from you. I only came so that God would get glory. You would hear the truth and your life would be changed. So every January, um, I read a book called Through the Gates of Splendor. And the reason I read it in January is because Jim Elliott, that's when he was martyred for the cause of Christ. And so I always try to read that book. I've read it now for years. I'd encourage you, if you've never read the life of Jim Elliott, that you ought to read it through the gates of splendor. Because Jim Elliott, as a young man, like many of you guys, and, and many of you guys here too, as a young man, had, was promising. He was brilliant. He was an incredible athlete. He could have done just about anything he wanted to do. At Wheaton College, he sensed the call of God on his life. And in his book, you ought to read it. I just encourage you to read it. He, he just said, God, listen, let my life be set on fire and use me up. Just burn me up for you. And he found out about a, a group of Indians that no one had ever found that had never heard the gospel and he sensed from God that he should go and he should try to get the gospel to this group of Indians. And so, Jim Elliott had some friends. And here's, here's his friends and they began to pray and work together. They moved to the jungle. Uh, Nate, Nate Saint, he's the guy next to Jim Elliott on the right. He was the pilot of a little yellow piper. What's interesting is a few years ago, I was at a pastor's conference. They had actually found the frame of that plane. And that plane was made out of pipe, and it was just over covered with uh, fabric. And it was bright yellow. In fact, here's kind of a picture, one of the last pictures of them alive. And, and they found a beach, and they landed on this beach because they had pretty well known that this is where these Indians live and they went there and they landed and they took the gospel to them and for some reason uh, they turned violent and the thing is Jim Elliott and his friends had guns and someone asked them before they went will you use the guns to protect yourself and Jim Elliott in tears said why would we use a gun on people that are perishing, we'll only use it for something to eat or protect ourselves from animals, but never on a human. 
They were armed. They could have defended themselves. But in January, at the age of 29, at 1956, some of you remember this. It was on the news, it was on the radio, it came out in a magazine. It was broadcasted over the news that five missionaries had gone missing and the military went in and found four of their bodies. One of them, they've never found their bodies. And at 29 years old, Jim Elliott and his friends gave their lives for the gospel. So, the mission was over. Not so. Because Jim Elliott had met Elizabeth and they were married and she was living there in the jungle with him along with the other missionaries' wives. And because they believed in what their husbands believed in, they went to the tribe that killed their husbands to take the gospel to them. In that jungle was this man. His name is Micaiah. I'll just say it like that. He was kind of the leader of the group that killed these men. And Micaiah and many of the people who killed Jim Elliot and Pete and Roger and Nate came to Christ. Here's what I wanted you to see for a moment. Elizabeth Elliot in 2015 died and went to heaven. Can you imagine a reunion? That would be. Um, I don't know what it's like. I don't know if it was like Jim didn't know what had happened down here and when Elizabeth got to heaven, she got to tell. I'm sure all that was pale to comparison of what? Just being there with Jesus and all the trouble and heartache and suffering and killing, all that was forgotten. Well, here's what's interesting because in April 28th, 2020, this year, that man, the killer of Jim Elliott, who came to know Christ, died and went to heaven. Can you imagine the reunion? I don't know if it's like this, but do you wonder if Jim Elliott went, Hey, what are you doing here? And Elizabeth goes, Hey, listen, in all of his worship, I forgot to tell you that he... trusted in the one that you went to go tell him about. And then I went and did that. I wonder if Jim said, what were you thinking, Elizabeth? I'm sure none of that is true. I'm sure they were so caught up in just Jesus. I, all that was, and that's, that's what I'm trying to get you to see. You see, you and I have been called, every one of us have been called, and it's going to be difficult in this life. 
you're like, hey, listen, I could turn on the news and hear bad news. I, I really didn't want to come here this morning and hear that. Well, it's really not bad news. What it is, it's just reality for a follower of Jesus. This life will be very difficult. But when you enter heaven, like Jim, Elizabeth, when you enter heaven, all this suffering, guess what? Paul said like this, in these momentary light afflictions, compared to heaven, these are momentary, and they are light afflictions, compared to what you and I have ahead. So if you will, I want you to look at your notes. and I have some questions I want to ask you. Just kind of look at those for a moment. I just want to say these things. God called Paul's life, had a call on Paul's life, and he kept pressing forward amidst suffering and shameful treatment. The world is calling out to you and I. And y'all know this. The world is calling out to you and I. And hey, listen, it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ or not. The world is calling out to you. And it's screaming, come follow me. And oftentimes God's call is what? Not screaming. Do you remember when God first called you? Was it a scream? I mean, probably in your heart it felt like it. But man, it wasn't a scream, but it was like you could not deny it. Listen. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's because he chose and called you. You did not choose me. Listen, no one comes to Christ by one day just going, listen, hey, I've lived my life how I want it. I've done everything I think I've wanted to do. And so I think I'll, I'll follow Jesus now. You'll never do that. It'll be because he chose you, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So the deal is, you and I, all of us have a call on our life. What's interesting about this call is it is not to um, easy peasy life. It's not. In fact, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So listen, you and I should never, ever come either to a Sunday school class, to hear a message preach, and leave without asking a question of yourself, applying it to yourself, you should never. And so I have some questions just for all of us. I've answered these. I'll answer them again myself now. But I want to just ask you to pay attention for a moment. And I just want you to ask these questions of yourself. In fact, I would even ask you to write something down. First of all, Ask yourself this question. Have I responded to God's call of repentance and faith 
on my life? Yes, no. If you put yes, it's because your life has been changed. Your life has been radically changed. It is being changed. You are loving Christ more and more and more. It's not that you did something years ago and now nothing, there's no fruit, no evidence, but it is that your life is changed now. And so hopefully you can say yes. But if no, what will you do? What are you going to do? What will you do about that today? I want to just tell you what you should do. You're not here by accident. Not one of you is sitting where you're sitting and here by accident this morning. You've heard enough of the truth of the gospel. If you've been here any time at all, you've heard it over and over again. And maybe you've even sensed the Spirit of God calling you to turn from your sin and turn to Him. And you have not done that. I want to encourage you with all my heart. If He is calling you, do not turn. Walk away and do nothing about it. Turn to Him. You don't have to wait till we sing a song and come down here and talk to somebody right where you're at. You can turn to Him. And I encourage you to do that. Second one. Am I actively responding to God's call of denying myself, daily taking up my cross, and following Him? Hopefully we could say yes. But if not, what am I going to do? Here's my last one. Is God calling me into, I have not heard this in years. I'm a, I'm a kid that grew up at Falls Creek. Some of y'all know that camp, and they would always give an invitation at the end. And part of the invitation is that some of you, God is calling into full-time ministry, either pastorate, missions, whatever. And he's calling you. The deal is all of us have a call in our life as a follower of Christ, but some, maybe you have been called. And so here would go like this. Maybe some of you, you were called at one time, and you have slowed down, you have stopped either out of business, you got hurt, you're disappointed in God, and yet God called you and you know it. And you have done nothing with that. And I would, with all my heart today, encourage you, repent and follow the call God has on your life. But the truth is, you might be here today and this is the first time ever you've ever heard someone say, maybe God's calling you personally. And I remember that day, it was, it was the scariest day of my life. I had no qualifications. And, and I wasn't hung up with, well, does he want me to be a youth pastor? Does he want me to do this? Does he want me to do that? It really didn't matter because I sensed this call in my life. 
And it was the scariest thing, but at the same time, I hope this will help you. The call of God on your life is he puts a desire in your heart that you can't, like, brush away. It's like, um, I'm not qualified, I, I don't talk very good, and I can't read, and uh, da, 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 and you do all these things, and yet you go, I still have this incredible desire to do it. Well, hear me. That's only God. And he's, he might be calling you. And you're like, maybe he's going to send me to Africa. Hey, here's what's scarier. Maybe he's going to let you stay right here. Maybe you'll stay right here in the States where you might preach and preach and preach the rest of your life and nobody ever responds to your preaching, your teaching, your witness, living your life before them, and they may never. You might go overseas, and you could get up on a street corner and say, Jesus loves you, and there'd be a crowd flock to you, but God doesn't call you there. He says, hey, listen, I want you to stay right here. I want you to do it every day in your home, in your neighborhood, at your work. And by the way, listen, they're not rejecting you. Be just rejecting me. And hear me, you'll never be able to persuade anyone enough outside of the Spirit calling them to himself. You will never be able to persuade anyone enough to follow Jesus. But he might use the gospel through you, and then the Spirit God will take that and use that in somebody's life. And it might well be God is calling you. And so I wonder if we just together could do this. Would you bow your head with me? And would you just, between you and God, would you just like either reaffirm, yes, God, you've called me, and I'm following you the best I know how. And I want to keep faithful. And when life gets difficult, I want to be able to say like Naomi Barnett, God's faithful, even though it's been difficult. Or maybe it would be, I know that you've called me to follow you, but I've been disappointed with you, or I let someone hurt me, and I haven't gotten over that. I pray you'd give me strength to be able to move forward. I want to be like Paul, Jim Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot. I don't want nothing to stop me. Because God Almighty has called me to be a student, to be a worker, to be in full-time ministry, to the mission field, to my neighborhood. So God, I would pray, even in these moments, that we would remember the first time you called us and you'd renew that in our hearts. I know there are some in this room, they live every day. It's renewed every day. They live out their calling and may this just be a reminder and encouragement just to keep plowing ahead and not let anything 
as our world seems to get darker and harsher, may the call of God be that thing that just keeps compelling us to move forward even in the midst of disaster, heartache, sadness, depression, whatever we would keep. Lord, I'd pray that if there's someone today, they've never, whether they're listening to this online or later they'll listen to this or even right here, and they realize there's no change in my life. I'm a good church goer, but I'm not a Christ follower. And I would pray today they would sense your call in their heart to turn and trust you today. And I ask this in your name.